Hey, brother Todd, what's happening? I can't even t- I can't even tell you how much I seeing you guys last week was just like a I don't know like a bolt of energy, like taking a giant vitamin. <laughs> wow, that's a what pretty good. You, don't you think that's a pretty good analogy? God, what do you know about taking vitamins? Uh, well, <laughs> if there's vitamins in bacon. That's what I need. That's in, then I would be in chocolate covered uh, breaded bacon. <laughs> oh, now Ooh. you're now you're now you're singing my song. Hey everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. I am so glad you're here, and I hope you're well. Are you? I hope so. I really do hope that. I hope that for most everybody. So I'm kind of into that process. Man, I can't even tell you how excited I am about today's podcast. And I know I say that a lot. And, you know, it's mostly true. I'm mostly excited. Sometimes not as excited as other times. But this one I'm excited about uh, just for a ton of reasons. You, you could probably hear in the teaser that two of I I just think two of the most important people in safety in the world are on this podcast. And what's amazing, and it really is kind of amazing to me, is they're both so humble and so kind and so gentle that you may not know who they are, but you need to. And I mean that in the most loving way. You need to know these these guys are rock stars among rock stars. These are, these are, these are amazing people. So, so you may not know this, but let me give you a little background. There's a, there was a, a, a rock group in kind of the late sixties, seventies called the band with Robbie Robertson and a, a, a assortment of others. The album that I think of is, I think it's called live from big pink. I should have done research. I didn't know I was going to talk about this. They are really an interesting group because they're kind of musicians, musicians. And actually, the reason they're called The Band, which is not a very imaginative name by any stretch of the imagination, is because they were the backup band for a little singer you may have heard of named Bob Dylan. Now, remember the time frame, late 60s, right? Bob Dylan was gigantic. Bob Dylan is still gigantic. He was gigantic. And these guys were his band. And every musician loves the band because they're musicians, musicians. But you may not know them because they weren't terribly popular. I mean, they, they had, there's a movie about them called The Last Waltz. There's tons of places to go if you want to learn more. But they're kind of a group that was, was created and pretty much performed for people who you respect as musicians. And they had huge influence. That is who's on today's podcast. That the, the, These are musicians, musicians. These are safety people, safety people. Because the gang that I put together, and I, to be really honest, I, I sort of forced them into this conversation um, because I, I just kept thinking about how good it would be to talk to them. So I, I gave a presentation um, for the Steelworkers and both Jim and Bill, that, that's who's going to be on the podcast, came up and talked to me afterwards. And it was so 
wonderful to see them. And I thought, you know, these guys, we ought to talk about what they do. And so I can't talk about everything they've done because that would take a really long time. But I knew they were both quite experienced, deep, deep, profound experience investigation people. And it's interesting because I don't talk very much about investigations. And yet people really, the one request I get over and over and over again is to please talk more about investigations. And I don't talk a lot about them because, um, well, one thing is that no two investigations are ever done the same way. And that investigation is really more art than science. And that it's really hard to talk about investigations because people really want a format. Do you use the Boom Jigger 7? Or, yeah, I made that up, but I read. Uh, and, and the answer is no. And if you talk to people who've done lots of investigations, they'll tell you that everyone is different. And what's interesting is Jim Howe really worked for the auto workers, and, and, and he, he was a very, very deeply experienced investigator who's done a tremendous amount of investigations. And Bill Hoyle was a lead investigator for the Chemical Safety Board for about a million, I think I'm going to round up, I think a million years. Between the two of them, there is so much experience that it would be hard to measure. But they're just so gentle and kind and wonderful and smart. And so I thought, well, let's get them on. And normally they're kind of, the, because they're so gentle and kind, they're kind of like, oh, no, talk to someone else. And in fact, they don't know they both did this. But I asked them to be on the pod together. Both of them contacted me individually and said, you know, the other one is much more experienced than I am. Why don't you just have them talk and uh, I'll sit back. Well, thank you, guys, because I appreciate your humility. But I even knew together you would be something special. And it is true. And you get to hear it. That's the cool part about it. You get to sit in on this conversation. You're the person that we're talking to. And just the chance to get to hear this, I, I think is really remarkable. So I'm super excited about this. And, you know, that's the way to be. It's kind of an achy day in Santa Fe because I woke up this morning and it was beautiful. At 8.30, it was 44 degrees, skies were blue. By 9 o'clock, it was snowing like crazy. And I'll bet you guys, we probably got, I don't know, three, four inches of that heavy, wet spring snow. Now, I'm not complaining because water is water, and we love water. Water is a really important part of this. But, man, that was a ton of snow, a ton of snow. Now, my guess is it'll be gone by 5 o'clock tonight, or knock on wood, I hope so. But that was kind of an interesting shocker because I'm really ready for summer, but you knew that. If you listen to the podcast, you totally know that. That was a part of it. It's been a great time. Uh, I just had a great trip to Edmonton, and I head to um, other places and other excitement as the weeks progress. Even though I'm trying not to travel very much, I really am. I'm trying to be much more um, at home and to kind of hang out more and appreciate life in the slow lane that doesn't involve going to airports. But unfortunately, some, some stuff is sneaking in. So we're going to have to sort of sit back and enjoy that. Let's listen to this podcast. I actually think you're going to really dig this podcast. Will you please welcome, in conversation with us, just you, me, Jim Howe and Bill Hoyle. And they're going to tell you a little bit about the journey they were on in learning 
from events. Yeah. So, so thanks for doing this. I've been dying to do this. There's a lot of people that ask about investigations. And so I thought of all the people I know, you two guys are uh, amazing and have depth and knowledge and breadth in this category. But I don't think, I don't think we should talk about how to do investigations because I think that would be hideous and boring and no two are the same and not very valuable. But I do think the overall gestalt. Did you like how I use that? I was. I thought yeah. that was. I thought yeah, that well, yeah. sounded really intellectual when I said it that way. It's sort of how to think about doing investigations. And the opening question I want to ask you guys is really, I think, uh, a good question. It's pretty simple. What do you wish you would have known that you know now when you started to do investigations? What's changed in the way you think about doing investigations? I can start. Yeah, Go sure, ahead. Bill. I was a, a victim and a, a purveyor of root cause seduction. <laughs> Which sounds like we have to give this an R rating. That's what that does sounds like. I think I, I saw a, that movie. Yeah. I, I was uh, a promoter, uh, a seller, uh, a doer of uh, all things root cause, only to later discover that I was on the wrong, not on the best path. But it is seductive. I mean, the idea that there's a cause, it's efficient, it's meaningful, it seems like it's really deep work, and it made sense. I mean, it, that that's how you were seduced is it, yeah. it made sense to you, right? Well, I, I viewed it as the antidote to blame, to moving beyond blame that was my hope or my, my motivation. Right. Tell us more on that. Well, so many investigations uh, starting uh, decades ago would, would be so oversimplified to focus on who did what wrong and how do we fix that person that made, who uh, shockingly made such a bad mistake. And I viewed uh, 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 root cause analysis as a, as a way to move beyond blame in investigations and uh, spent a lot of years in promoting that. And And I think genuinely that's, the intent is right there. It's perfect because it pulls you away from sort of the who. And yet, why did root cause always kind of take us back to the who? Yeah. When, when, uh, when I was at the, uh, the chemical safety board, we had used root cause and that for a long time. And, and I um, worked on changing that to drop the use of that term uh, because it tended to focus on a singular, a single right. root cause. Even if you would say it's more than one, nonetheless, most folks would focus on one thing, and that's contrary to a good investigation. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Jim? What's your gut so, tell you? So the, so, the, so the accident that affected me the most, I was a union rep, and a 19-year-old kid summer, you know, summer intern, yeah. father worked at the plant, National Honor Society, captain of the soccer team. They put him on a machine and to, I don't want to go through all the details, right. but his hand got caught in the machine and it mutilated uh, four fingers on his left hand. And, you know, just this image of this kid uh, sitting in the back of the ambulance with this huge bloody uh, bandaged up hand crying and and uh, praying at the same time simultaneously. And, you know, I'm just like Bill. I mean, I went through every stage of 
errors that you can make because I would look at it very locally. I wouldn't look at the broader system. Uh, things like that would make me angry. So I wanted to blame somebody and blame felt good, you know, because of this poor kid and this image and, you know, that had to leave the room when his mother used the vacuum cleaner because he was afraid of all machines, even though he was going to go to engineering school at Purdue or something. So, I mean, I went through this whole evolution. <laughs> what what affected, what helped me a lot, Todd, was I was fortunate to go to some Dr. Deming. You know, he's a big quality guru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, four-day seminars. And you talk about somebody that focuses on the system gets you to think more broadly and has very, very powerful examples and was unbelievably successful. That really opened my eyes when I went to uh, the Deming stuff, even though he's primarily talking about quality and that kind of stuff, it all applied to safety. And it kind of um, helped me move forward and look, you know, and, and it was natural for me. It was easy for me to look at the system, but initially uh, he had a tremendous impact, you know, um, I, I was saying to somebody the other day, you think I'm sucking up to you, Todd, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, I said the three people that affected me the most were Fred Manuel. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Deming and Todd Conklin. Oh man, shut up. Really? really? In terms of, in, in, seriously, in terms of just making big changes in the way I looked at health and safety and helping me move forward in my thinking. So. Wow. But it's not sucking up, you know, I, you know, because there's I, a I, lot of me that you hate a lot of stuff I do. You hate. So, so you know, it, it evens out. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, that's what I say. Well, it's, you can't even compliment the guy. It's so interesting to me because I, I, I'm the same as you guys that when I first started doing investigations, I was enamored with root cause. I tried never to use the word blame. And yet I really looked for places where people screwed up and it was way easier I think to investigate what failed to happen, the whole counterfactual slippery slope. I'll, I'll never forget when I first was introduced to the notion of counterfactuals. And I thought, my God, everything I've done in every investigation I've ever done has ended on a counterfactual that I've always gone out and actively sought what didn't happen, completely missing what did happen. And that, that was the big shift at least for me, that that made a huge deal. But man, the seduction of sort of there's one cause and management wants to know what that cause is as soon as possible. And then they want to fix it as effectively as possible is a big part of it. I mean, that's, I think that's a really important background. And you guys, you bring so much just natural experience to this that it's pretty easy for us to see it in a different way and not be threatened by it. Because I, I think we can't go back and redo what we've done and the investigations we did, we did with the best intentions. Yeah. I mean, we really did. We we wanted the best. It's just that we've learned more by doing them. And, and, and I, that's and that, a big part of it. And that should be our mindset going forward when we see others. Yeah. You know, we shouldn't have a double standard saying, why are you doing this? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, completely. It was just early in our career, we've been around longer. Uh, and we've had a chance to make more mistakes than them. But um, it's easy to have kind of a double standard, as you guys know. You know, the the reason that I missed the ball is the sun was in my eyes. The reason Todd missed the ball is, you know, he doesn't have what it takes. That's you right. know, he's kind he's of not good at it. Um, You're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. You're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Where do you think it happened 
where investigating became fixing. To me, that's the one thing. And Bill, to be honest, one of the things I think you've brought to the world with your work is a really good delineation between understanding what happened and then fixing what happened. But they're very – they're different things. Yeah, I, I, would, I would put it uh, in, in a similar fashion, the difference between un, uh, thinking accident investigation is an examination of all things technical, mechanical, engineering, chemistry, and if we fix that, we'll be good. But to add the new dimension that organizational uh, factors are every bit as important as all the technical factors, but one of the cha- but that's not e- it's easier said than done, because I think one of our challenges in this work is how do we find ways for technical people, engineers, and others um, to to be able to communicate more effectively, more comfortably with human factors, social scientists, organizational people. In general, um, they don't communicate very effectively together. It's as though it's two different languages. And uh, that's uh, something that more we need to do more on to overcome. How did you how did you start doing that with, for instance, with the chemical safety board? Well, it was introduced. It wasn't easy uh, because the staff was virtually all chemical engineers. Right. And so every, everybody has a comfort zone based on their background and their their history. And so uh, looking at organizational things are uh, was very uncomfortable. And so you have to have a process. One thing we did that was helpful, we used some of the work of an Australian, Andrew Hopkins, and a book he did about 20 years ago called Lessons from Longford. And we actually brought him over to do workshops in Washington, D.C., where we invited other government agencies, NTSB and many others. And uh, that was a piece of, this was a process. This took multiple years to uh, move that move that ball to more organizational aspects and to um, feel more comfortable and legitimate in doing that. You know, they, there's the contrast between so-called hard science and soft science. But I'm here to say they're both important and that, frankly, hard science is not very hard. It's, it's more of a belief system than a reality. That's a, 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 an amazing thing you just said and kind of risky. Maybe we'll get some comments at the end. Uh, But I think that's really an important piece of information. And it is hard to get the non-technical part of the discussion in the discussion. It's easier now, at least for me, to have that discussion. But, Jim, you've always – your entire career has really been represented by sort of creating a voice for the workforce. How do you find investigation uh, a tool to actually – encourage that? How, how did you help organizations tweak their investigations so they really did move from sort of blaming documents or culpability documents to, to documents we could potentially learn from? Yeah. And, you know, just to, just to be fair about it, um, a lot of other union reps had a lot of these same ideas about blame and so on and so forth and they're just uh, not as cool and as good looking oh, as you are let's just get oh, that out there no oversimplification i'm i'm saying that they tended to they would often say well bill screwed up he shouldn't have done that you know he should have recognized that problem counterfactuals etc cetera, etc cetera, just as you as as you say um 
I remember one time, Todd, um, I was in, in the middle of investigating an accident. Our car fell off a, a hoist at one of the assembly plants in one of the repair areas and killed this guy. And I was at this event, and this young woman came up to me. Let's say she's 22 years old or something. Um, and she introduced herself. She said, you know, I'm the daughter of uh, so-and-so, David, that you're interviewed, that you're and she said, I know that companies often don't care that much about health and safety or they cut corners or whatever. But she said, I thought it was the job of the union to protect the workers. That was her question to me. And I thought that was a really powerful question. Yeah. And um, because there were, you know, there, there, you know, there, there's all there's supposed to be a whole apparatus in the union to protect workers and, you know, systems and so on and so forth. And it, it always struck me that when we go out and do these investigations, oftentimes it's the difference between a son or a daughter, or husband or wife, knowing what happened to their loved one. I mean, it's and, and we think about organizationally and how it's going to affect things. But, you know, on kind of a very personal level, as you know, I mean, Todd, you've been through this so much. Um, you know, the impact that this has, you know, not just for the organization, not just for the workers that are there, but for the family and so on and so forth. Um, you know, so I always, you know, it, I, I always took it really seriously. It, it Because I had been put in those kind of situations, it helped me uh, think about the importance, focus. Um, and what I used to do, Todd, I don't know what you do. I'd be really curious what you do. But when I, you know, when I'd be on a plane heading to a fatality investigation, I think I worked on about 85 of them or something, some number like that. On the plane, honest to God, I would pull out a checklist and it would say, you know, think about these things. This is what your mindset needs to be and so on and so forth. And I had read it over and over, but I forced myself as I'm heading to that investigation to review that. Um, and, and I think that would be good advice for a lot of people because we often forget and so on and so forth. You know, you're going to you're going to get to a place where it's going to be chaos. It's going to be very emotional. You know, there's going to be all kinds of different directions. OSHA is going to be doing their thing. There might be the police there. You know, there, there's all kinds of things happening and, uh, you know, PTSD and, you know, all kinds of emotions. And just to prepare yourself mentally to do a good investigation, but also for the psychological and so on and so forth. Um, the other thing I would want to say is Bill's point, I think it, 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 that you guys both made is really important that, you know, we tend to be comfortable focusing on the technical. We need to focus, we do need to focus more on the social, but we need to help people understand. We teach people how to identify hazards, but we don't teach people how to go look for fear. We don't teach people how to go find psychological lack of, you know, psychological safety. And Bill and I have had a long talk about the problems with that term, but the idea that people are afraid to raise stuff and make comments and so on and so forth, you know, we need to help people understand how do you go look for this stuff? Um, I think that's a real important opportunity that we have uh, that contextually affects incident investigations and obviously affects all kinds of aspects of the health and safety program and system. I agree completely. I mean, completely. I, and I appreciate so much what you said about what you do on your way to the investigation, because I, like you, 
I, I don't read the case. I don't read all the documents they sent me. I don't, exactly. I don't because that's going to bias me in some weird way. Yeah. And it, but what I do think about is really the word restoration. And that word restoration has become really important to me, especially in significant events, because I look at the investigation process as a restoration process, that we need to restore the ability for the organization to actually do their operations in an effective and reliable way, better than they've ever done them before. And I think that's a big thing. What, Bill, what do you do on the way to an investigation? Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start with something that uh, doesn't seem right, but people think to be a lead investigator, an in-charge investigator, the most important skill set are your technical skills, your knowledge of the process, the sure. equipment. Um, in my experience, it's not that. Uh, the most important uh, skill set is diplomacy calmness, tranquility, respecting people's legitimate interests that may be very different and divergent Um, uh, and and, and to be diplomatic, maintain a a diplomatic uh, professionalism, if you will, all through the process, which is not easy because people haven't slept in days. Their lives may never be the same again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's an emotional hurricane. And so being calm and being diplomatic, that's the key, the prerequisite to success. It's not technical expertise. Wow. Yeah. And, and I, I think you're right on target. I would 100% agree. Jim, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I would add to what Bill said. I think he was exactly right. I even took some notes during it because Bill's always so brilliant. I know. Uh, but ser- seriously, I would also say have a plan because uh, at least my experience is overwhelmingly when you get to one of these sites, it's chaos. And the person that walks in with a plan uh, is the person that has a big impact. And I'm just like you, Todd. You know, you walk in, they're handing you, you don't have to interview these people. Here's all these statements, blah, blah, blah. I'd say, thank you very much. I God, I really appreciate it. I wouldn't read them. And I'd go do the interview. Exactly. Myself. <laughs> Later, I would read them. But, you know, um, because that's part of being respectful, like Bill says, and being diplomatic, and um, but also appreciating the, the shortcomings of what what is often done. You know, people they write out this statement, blah blah blah. Hey, that person has crappy handwriting; they can't spell well, so they wrote three sentences. Even though when you interview them, they're going to write five pages. You're going to write down five pages. Yeah, you know? easy. Uh, you know, so. and I and I would add to this: what's the most important skill set of an investigator? Uh, my experience is it's something I call professional skepticism. Yeah. And yeah. by that, I mean, you, you got to ask enough questions. You got to ask a few questions underneath your question or to follow up to your question to sort of re- derive something more meaningful and more, more, more accurate. Um, so it, that, that, that um, trait of professional skepticism doesn't mean being a jerk. It just means being uh uh, not taking things at face value, right? Not, and not uh, taking any any one interview, any one document, any one assertion as what is. Uh, skepticism is a helpful trait. Not knowing is better than knowing in investigating. Yeah. It's but it's hard to tell people that because they look at you like you're crazy. But I'd rather not know and get to learn than know and have to go out and look for confirmation of crap I already know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other important trait is humility. Um, if we're going to learn anything, we got to start with a certain humility 
And as an investigator, if we think we know we're experts and we've done all these cases, therefore we know everything, that's dangerous. We're, we're not going to do be very effective. We one thing, main thing I learned in my career is I when I started I thought I knew a lot, and when I finished I didn't know very much. <laughs> and I and I learned that uh, I had a lot to be humble about. Yeah, I yeah. love that. I yeah. knew this would be a good conversation, you guys. Yeah, I knew it. Just, I knew it. I knew it would be great. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so much. I mean, that was beautiful. Perfect. I told you. Did I not? I think that's one of the best. I don't know. That just really, well, they're my favorite people. So I'll just be honest. I'm biased. But that's, uh, I just thought that was a really a good way to spend a half hour, if you ask me. There's much to, I, I learned, I just keep learning and I mean, you do too. We sort of are on that journey together. But to learn from Jim and Bill and to get to do it together, I don't know. It's just it's a great opportunity to just hang out. And that's uh, that's important. We have so much to share with each other. I, I think we just have to make time to do really two things. One, identify people who have much to give. And then two create a space and listen. I bet that's true of most things. Let's make that let's make that our new year's resolution for next year. Identify people who have much to give and then create a space to listen. Okay, we can do that. That seems doable. We already started. We did it already. So so there you go. That's the pod. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, subscribe, smash that like button, all the stuff you're supposed to say. Uh, but mostly, I'm just glad you're here. Thanks for building this little community. It, uh, it's been worthwhile, and it's fun. And I think um, there'll be more. So get ready, because it's pretty exciting. Until then, learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. That's important. Be well. And for goodness sakes, be safe. <laughs>